thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, this morning we are going to finish the book of Luke. We've been in it for quite some time now, so a good little milestone to complete it. I hope it's been a blessing, uh, and I hope it continues to be as we finish it this morning. We'll be looking in chapter 24, and in Luke chapter 24, we have what is really the the greatest event uh, in all of Scripture, the greatest event uh, in all of history, Uh, my uh, definite favorite event in the Bible, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating Easter, uh, and the focus of Easter is the resurrection of Christ, and so we're going to be taking time that Sunday to really look at the resurrection, to look at its significance, to look at its importance. We're also going to look at evidence to uh, support it and back it up, and so uh, normally, if I would come to Luke chapter 24, I would really focus a lot on the resurrection because it is a very important aspect of the chapter, but because we're about to cover it in just a few weeks, weeks, uh, I've decided to go a little bit of a different direction here uh, with this chapter and kind of focus on Jesus's followers, his disciples, and their response to everything that has just transpired. Jesus is now dead. They're not anticipating or expecting a resurrection. And so we're going to look at their response, not only to the fact that he died and then the fact that he rose, but then he's going to ascend back into heaven. And so um, we're going to be focusing on their responses this this morning, and I think it's good for us because all of us have difficulties that we go through. And as we look at Jesus' disciples, as we look at his followers, I think there are several things that we can learn about how to deal with difficulty. We're going to see things that they should and shouldn't do, and, and as we look at these responses that they have to Jesus' death and to Jesus' resurrection, and I think it's going to be something that we can take a lot away from. You know, I am uh, intrigued by stories of people who go through extreme difficulty and they get to that place where all hope is lost. You know, they might be someone who, you know, is shipwrecked and they're hanging onto a log and they're in the middle of the ocean and they think, you know what, my time's come. Day after day, they have no water, they're just about to die. And at that point where they've given up all hope, now they see a ship, and, and, and there's this huge change, a place where you know, they've come to where it's like, you know, now I'm going to die, now I've given up all hope, all of a sudden, wow, I'm rescued, and, and the emotions go from hopelessness to joy, this huge, drastic change, and I love stories like that, and, and we see that here in Luke chapter 24, because the disciples and Jesus' followers have this type of story. What was the worst time in their life when Jesus Christ died on the cross and they thought at that point in time all hope was lost? Three days later, he rises from the dead and everything changes from them. One of the main reasons I want to focus on this this morning is because we can learn a lot about our responses in times like this. Now, before we jump into Luke chapter 24, let's try to picture what it would have been like up to this point to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. For the past three years, your life has been consumed in Jesus. You've left all to follow him. And you've had all sorts of wonderful ideas of him becoming king and establishing his kingdom. And for you, that's really important because then you become his right hand men in this kingdom. You have seen him do miracle after miracle. You've been involved in some yourself. But you also know that he has some powerful enemies that are seeking to destroy him. And then you go together, just you, the disciples, Jesus, you're in an upper room, and Jesus shares some news with you that you really don't want to hear. One of you is going to betray me. I'm going to be killed. All of you are going to abandon me. And Peter, you're going to deny you even knew me. You then watch as he's arrested and fear consumes you and you run and hide. For those bold enough to follow, one denies him and the other has to watch him be tortured and killed. When Jesus is finally dead, everything you believe dies with him. 
You lock yourself in a room for fear that you are next. A day in which you should have been expecting the resurrection is a day in which you've given up all hope. Jesus is dead and gone, and there's nothing he can do for you anymore. I think this is interesting that they got to that place. Jesus is dead and gone, and there's nothing he can do for us anymore. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in a place or a situation where you've given up? Everything seems to be going wrong, and you just give up, and you say, nothing can get me through this. Nothing can get me through this relational conflict. Nothing can get me through this addiction. Nothing can get me through this financial crisis. Nothing can get me through the loss of my loved one. Nothing can get me through the devastating medical diagnosis I've just received. Nothing can get me through this horrible depression and anxiety. The list can go on and on and on. I know that there have been many times in my life where I came to that conclusion that nothing can get me through this hardship, this difficulty, this situation. And you know what we fall into when we come to that conclusion? The same thing the disciples fell into. Jesus is powerless to help us. That's ultimately what we're saying when we come to a difficulty and say, nothing can get me through this. Ultimately, what we're saying is, Jesus can't get me through this because he's part of that nothing. When we come to that conclusion and say, nothing will ever help me through this, nothing can get me through this, then we bought into this lie that Jesus cannot get me through it. And how far that is from the truth. Philippians chapter 4 Verse 13, I'm sure many of you have it memorized. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, something we need to remember in those difficult situations is you might be powerless, but Jesus is all powerful. You might be weak, but Jesus is strong. You might be confused, but Jesus knows all. You might be ready to give up, but Jesus will come and pick you up and brush you off and help you to continue on. You might think I'm useless and nothing special, but Jesus thinks you are extremely special and he can use you to do amazing things. So here in Luke chapter 24, Jesus' disciples and followers are faced with Jesus' death. And we're going to see different people respond to this in different ways. And with each response, there's something that we can learn. So let's look at the first group and their response. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1, says this. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still with you in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. If you remember at the end of chapter 23, Joseph of Arimathea comes to Pontius Pilate asking for Jesus' body so he can give him a proper burial. And as Joseph gets the body of Jesus and he's taking it to the tomb, we're told that these women follow Joseph because they want to know where Jesus' body is being placed. They come to that tomb, they they recognize where Jesus' body is. Well, now as we pick up here in chapter 24, we're told that these women... It's been three days now. The Passover has happened. They've been waiting. They prepared spices to go and anoint Jesus' body for his burial. And so they're coming with the purpose of, we want to get to Jesus' body. We want to give him a a proper burial. They have a love for Jesus, and they want to do this for him. Now, I'm sure that they were aware of the fact, especially if they watched Jesus be placed in this tomb, that the tomb was sealed with a giant stone, but not just that, also with a Roman seal, and there was Roman guards placed in front of the tomb. Now, it would have looked something like this, if the slide will come up. This is what they probably would have expected. But, you know, I'm sure that they were thinking, we don't know how we're going to get to Jesus' body, but we don't care. We love him. We're going to do this. We're going to go there. You know, we'll we'll figure it out. You know, that this love drives them to go. And they get there And they see several things that they were not expecting to see. You see, the tomb was not sealed. The stone was rolled away. The entrance was open. The Roman guards weren't there. And as they go into the tomb, 
the thing that they came for, the dead body of Jesus, is gone. And they're perplexed. They don't know what's going on. But a third thing happens, something that they definitely didn't expect to see. As they're perplexed of what is going on, the tomb is open. Jesus' body is not here. Two angels are there in the tomb, and they speak to these women. And they ask them a very important question. They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. Now, this is a very important question that the angels ask these ladies. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Jesus is alive, so why are you seeking him among a grave for dead people? Now, the angels seem almost surprised that the women are greatly perplexed. You see, the angels understood something, knew something. Jesus has told these women, he's told his followers, that not only was he going to die, but that three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. We've been looking through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has said this to his followers a few times. He's made it very clear. Yes, I'm going to die, but there's good news as well. I'm going to rise from the dead. And so these angels are kind of a little bit perplexed of, you know, he's not here. He's risen. You guys should know this. He's told you this. And that's why they go on to say, don't you remember how when he was still in Galilee, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Don't you guys remember what Jesus told you? He told you this was going to happen. He told you he was going to die, but he told you three days later he would rise from the dead. You should have come here expecting an empty tomb because Jesus said that would be the case. And then we're told, then they remembered Jesus' words. After the angels give them this important reminder, remember what Jesus has already told you, it clicks. Oh, yes, he did reveal that to us. He did say that to us. The problem these women had was that they forgot this very important truth that Jesus clearly revealed to them prior to this event. And the sad reality is, is that forgetting this important truth from Jesus had some severe effects on their lives. All of these women watched as Jesus was crucified. They followed as his body was taken off the cross and and placed into a tomb. And for three days they mourned. For three days they were heartbroken. For three days they prepared spices to anoint this body that they thought was dead and gone for good. For three days they were greatly saddened after losing someone they loved so much. But you know what? These three days could have been drastically different for them. If they would have remembered what Jesus had told them, if they would have remembered that in three days he was going to rise from the dead. You see, forgetting this important truth from Jesus caused them to be hopeless when they could have been hopeful. It caused them to be joyless when they could have been joyful. It caused them to be saddened and depressed when they should have been happy and rejoicing. Because they forgot the truth that Jesus told them they were robbed of hope, they were robbed of joy, they were robbed of peace, they were robbed of blessings that they should have and could have enjoyed. Imagine how different those three days would have been if they would have remembered and believed what Jesus told them. That when he died, right at that moment, they were thinking, this isn't the end. We know what's coming. In three days from now, he's going to rise from the dead. If they remembered that, if they believed that, if they were anticipating that, those three days, which probably were the worst three days of their life, could have been some of the best days of hope and anticipation and joy leading up to this great event that they could have been ready for and believing in. I think we can learn a lot from these women. Because so often we are robbed of hope, of joy, of peace, of blessing. Why? Because we don't remember the wonderful truths that Jesus, the Word of God, shares with us. Oftentimes we encounter a very difficult situation and the truths that would bring us hope, the truth that would bring us peace, the truth that would bring us comfort in that circumstance, we don't remember For example, you go through some difficulty and you feel abandoned and all alone and and you forget that the Bible clearly says God will never leave you or forsake you. 
Or you're reminded of your past sinful life and and you feel condemned and, and you forget that the Bible says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or you go through financial struggles and you're worrying, that how am I going to make it? How am I going to pay for my bills? I lost my job or I had this difficult financial circumstance and you forget the truth that Jesus says, don't worry about what you shall eat or what you shall wear. The Father knows that you need these things. He will take care of your needs. Or you go through some temptation and you think, it's too hard to bear. I can't get through it. And you forget the truth that the Bible says there is no temptation beyond what you are able, but God will make a way of escape so that you can bear it. Or you go through some struggle and convince yourself, you know what, I'm separated from God's love. And you forget the truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I could go on and on with biblical examples of things that we forget, but I think you get the point. So often we don't remember these wonderful truths that in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, if we would hold on to them and believe them, how different that time would be, how different that circumstance would be, and how different our response to that time would be. I think one of the main reasons we forget those very important truths is because we don't spend much time in God's word. You'll find if you read God's word, it's very repetitive. It constantly sharing the same truths over and over and over again. Paul even says oftentimes, you know, hey, it's a good thing that I remind you of what I've already told you over and over again. Why? Because we're forgetful people. And it's good for us to be reminded. It's good for us to remember. Jesus says, what? Do this in remembrance of me. I mean, you would think the death of Jesus would be something we would never forget. We would never lose sight of. And Jesus says, no, no, I know what you're like. I want you to regularly take communion to remember me, to remember my love, to remember my sacrifice, because you're a forgetful people. We see that through the nation of Israel. We see that in our own lives. And so we need to get into God's word regularly so we're reminded of the truths that help us through the difficulties that we have. So these women, they're robbed of hope, they're robbed of joy, they're robbed of peace, they're robbed of comfort, they're robbed of blessing because they didn't remember the wonderful news that Jesus had shared with them about his resurrection. Well, John's gospel gives us some detail about a particular one of these ladies that I want to look at because, once again, I think it's a good challenge. The way in which she responds is a good lesson for us. And that one is Mary Magdalene. She was one of the the women who saw the tomb, the empty tomb, and saw that the, the, the stone was rolled away. But John's gospel tells us something of she's perplexed. She's looking at that from a distance, not knowing what to think of it. But she does something different than the other ladies, and I want us to notice what she does. John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So John tells us that, you know, Mary, she sees the stone is rolled away. She can see that the tomb is empty. Now the other ladies, they go inside. And when they go inside, who do they encounter? The the angels. And the angels tell them, hey, don't you remember? Jesus told you he's risen. Well, Mary doesn't stick around for that. She sees the empty tomb and she takes off. She comes to her own assumption, to her own conclusion. And her conclusion is someone must have stolen Jesus's body. The, the body's not there. The tomb is open. I know what happened. Someone took him. And she runs off to tell Peter and John. Mary encounters what she believes is a horrible situation. And she responds with believing Jesus' body was stolen. But there's a problem with Mary's response. She jumped to the wrong conclusion. And she didn't stick around to investigate the situation. If Mary would have stayed and went into the tomb with the other women, she would have blessed, been blessed to see the angels. She would have been blessed to hear the truth. He wasn't stolen. He's been risen from the dead. But instead of investigating, she jumped to the wrong conclusion and she ran off. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from Mary here. Because when you and I are faced with a difficult situation, how often do we jump to the wrong conclusions? How often do we make assumptions about the circumstances that we face? How often do we neglect to take time to listen and to really find out what truly is going on? 
You know, there have been many situations in my life where I've assumed things, where I've jumped to the wrong conclusion, and those things bring up a lot of problems, a lot of issues. I would say the majority of those things are assuming things about relationships or about people and jumping to the wrong conclusions because of things that I just assume are right or assume are the way that it is. You know, when I first started pastoring, I struggled with this in the area of counseling. People would start sharing some of their struggles or some of their issues, and I would just jump to assumptions of, okay, I know what's going on, and come to my conclusions and realize, you know what? I wasn't taking enough time to really listen and to find out the facts and to investigate those things, especially when you have you know, stories from two different perspectives. And you know, I learned the difficult, hard way that, you know what, I need to listen. I need to really take these things on board. I need to investigate what's being said here before I come to any conclusion, and it's never a good idea to assume. That's always something that leads to usually problems, and it's better just to find the facts and to work with those alone. We need to be very careful not to assume things about the Word of God, not to assume things about people, not to assume things about situations until we have all the facts. Because the enemy loves to use assumptions to divide relationships. And as a pastor, I've seen that so frequently, and it's so sad so often where these relationships get so broken, and when you get to the heart of it, you realize that someone just made an assumption about how some other person felt about them or thought about them or did to them when that wasn't true at all. And from that one assumption that jumped to a wrong conclusion, you have this huge issue based on nothing. That situation was never there. That person never did that, but they had thought that, well, they gave me this dirty look. They were just feeling bad that day, and they weren't smiling, and all of a sudden you think they hate you. And and all these assumptions come, and this conclusion comes, and and this situation comes out of it, and it's so sad to see. And the, the enemy loves it. He uses that, and he's been very effective with that in the church world today. Well, notice that Mary jumping to the wrong conclusion, it doesn't only affect her. We're told, then she ran and came to Peter and to John and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. You know, when we find ourselves in a difficult situation and we jump to conclusions about what's going on or why it's going on, rarely do we keep that all to ourselves. Usually we go and share that with at least somebody. And this is what, you know, Mary does. Hey, you know, Peter, John, they're close with me. You know, she's jumped to the wrong conclusion. Jesus has been stolen. This is so horrible. I need to tell someone this horrible news. And she runs to Peter and John, and she shares with them this horrible news that's not true. Jesus has been stolen. And now the the hurt and the pain and the anguish, it's bad enough that he's dead and that he was buried, but now he's been stolen. You know, Peter, who denied him, already has enough uh, pain from that circumstance. And John, you know, now they hear this lie. It's not true. And there's more pain. And so Mary's assumption and Mary's wrong conclusion doesn't just impact her. It impacts Peter and John. Now imagine if it was something that she would have just waited and gone into the tomb and investigated and listened. Her message could have been so different. Instead of running to Peter and John and saying, he's been stolen, she could have run into uh, Peter and John and said, he is risen. I have wonderful news for you guys. Jesus is alive. Remember, the angels told us. Remember when he told us that? You guys remember he said it, and he's alive. That could have been the message that she gave, but instead she gave them a, a lie because she jumped to the wrong conclusion. Well, Peter and John, they they both run to the tomb after hearing this. They're worried. They're freaking out about what's going on. But the Gospel of John reveals that Mary is not done. She's told them, and now she goes back to the tomb. You know, she's just beside herself with emotions, understandably, because she thinks Jesus' body has been stolen, even though it hasn't. And let's see what happens now, Uh, continuing on in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. 
Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Notice this. Mary jumped to the wrong conclusion. It caused her to run to Peter and John and give them false information. Now she comes back to the tomb and she's gotten into such an emotional state, so much worry that she finally now does go into the tomb to investigate. And you would think, okay, everything's going to be solved. Everything's going to be good. She walks in there and notice she's so blinded by this assumption and conclusion that she has come to that she meets two angels. I mean, think of this. She sees two angels in the tomb like the other women did who were looking down and like, oh my goodness, you know, we're in the midst of angels. And they ask her a question. What are you seeking? What's going on? Someone's stolen Jesus' body. You would think she would step back and say, who are you guys? What are you doing here? Why are there angels here? What's going on? She's completely blinded to that reality and just focused on this, re- this thought that she has, this conclusion she's come to. Someone stole Jesus. But it gets even worse than that. Notice what verses 14 and 15 says. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. If it wasn't bad enough that angels are there and she's not phased by that, now Jesus, the one that she thinks has been stolen, is there right in front of her. And she's so blinded by her worry and her conclusions that have been false that she doesn't even recognize Jesus, the one that she's seeking, the one that she's you know, so desperate to find, thinking that his body is dead. And she talks, he talks to her, and he asks her a question. You know, Mary, what's going on? What are you seeking? Once again, she's, she's clueless. She thinks she's a gardener. Hey, if you've taken Jesus, tell me. I'll go and get his body. I think this is such an important warning for us because oftentimes once we jump to the wrong conclusion, it brings us to a place of worry. And that worry so often blinds us from what we need to see the most, which is Jesus. You know, I've been in a lot of difficult situations where I get so focused on the problem, so focused on the difficulty. That's all I see. That's all I'm focused on. And I miss looking to Jesus in the midst of it all when that's the thing I need the most. It's so sad that we get so focused on the problem that so often we get consumed with it. And the one thing that we need so desperately in the midst of it all is to get our eyes on Jesus, but we won't because our eyes are so focused on the problem and we miss the thing that we need the most, Jesus. Mary lost sight of Jesus, the one who could bring her the comfort that she needed, the one who could reveal to her, I'm not stolen, I'm risen. But you know what? I love what Jesus does in verse 16. He says to her, Mary. Calls her by name, and she finally recognizes who he is. And she says, Rabboni, which is to mean teacher. Here is Mary in her emotional state. And Jesus comes and he meets her where she's at. He calls her by name. And I love this about Jesus. Even in our blindness, even in our assumptions, even in our emotional states, Jesus meets us where we're at. He comes alongside of us and he reminds us that he's there with us. And it finally clicks for Mary. Jesus is alive and she clings to him. What was the worst time of her life has now become the greatest joy of her life. I see Jesus. He is now here with me. You know, it's wonderful when we're in difficult situations and it finally clicks as it did with Mary. Jesus is here with me. Because so often we forget that. So often when the difficulty comes, we feel abandoned. We feel like God isn't there. Jesus is not there with us. And and when he reminds us of that, I'm here with you to help you through this. It's such an encouragement. It's such a blessing. Let's never forget that Jesus is always there with us in difficult times. As the Bible said, he never leaves us or forsakes us. So Mary has now seen that she jumped to the wrong conclusion, that Jesus' body wasn't taken. Instead, it was risen from the dead. And notice now how she responds in verse 18. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that she had spoken these things to her. Well, now that Mary has met with Jesus... Notice now what she has to share. Before, when she jumped to her own conclusions that were wrong, she had something to share, something that wasn't true, something that wasn't right, and something that wasn't beneficial to Peter and John. 
Well, now that she has met with Jesus, she has something encouraging to share with the disciples. And I think there's a great correlation with that in our own lives as believers. When you meet with Jesus, it automatically brings you to a place where you have something worthwhile to share. When you have spent time in the word, when you have spent time in prayer, it brings you to that place where you have something to share with others. But the opposite, I find, is also true. When you neglect your time with Jesus, neglect time in the word, neglect time in prayer, you really don't have much to share. If I were to ask you, what has God taught you this week? Some of you would have plenty to say because you spent a lot of time with him. You spent a lot of time in the word. You spent a lot of time in prayer. And you can say, oh, let me tell you what the Lord has been teaching me and showing me as I've spent time with him. Others of you might be thinking to yourself, you know what? I've been neglecting my time with the Lord all week, and I can't really answer that question. He hasn't really taught me anything because I haven't allowed him to. I haven't spent any time with him. I don't really have much to say. I don't really have much to encourage others with. When we personally meet with Jesus, it enables us to have that wonderful truth that he's working in us and teaching us that we can now encourage others with. Well, now all of the women have come into the tomb. All of the women have encountered these angels. All of the women know, hey, Jesus is risen. And so they come and they share this wonderful news with the disciples. And so now we come back to Luke chapter 24, and let's see how the disciples respond to the news that these women bring. Verse 9, Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Jonah, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, and their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Well, these women, they experience this amazing thing. They see these angels. They're convinced that Jesus is risen. They come and tell the disciples, and the disciples have a choice to make. Are we going to believe the testimony of these women or not? And unfortunately, the disciples who have truth, this great news told to them by the ladies, they conclude, you know what? This is a bunch of idle tales. This is a fairy tale. This isn't true. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Jesus is dead. He's gone. Quit talking about these things. Quit trying to get our hopes up. It's done with. They won't believe what these women have shared with them. But Peter, he's one of the disciples who goes to the tomb. The John's Gospel tells us in chapter 20 that he and John both go to the tomb. And as they get to the tomb and they see in the tomb, they don't see the angels as the women did, but they do see something very significant. They see the grave clothes. Now, if Jesus were to have gotten out of the grave clothes as a normal person would, he would unwrap himself and it would just kind of be uh, an unwrapped heap, a pile. But actually the wording that John uses in his gospel was just literally like Jesus kind of just evaporated out of it. The grave clothes were just sitting just like they would have been if someone was in it, but Jesus was no longer in it. And when John sees that, we're told, he believed Jesus was risen because he's like, how is this possible? The, you know, how would he get out? It was just something miraculous. And Peter sees it and he marvels. But I want you to notice something that John says right after that event in John 20, verse 9. For as yet, speaking of Peter and John, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. You see, they looked at the grave clothes and that jarred something in in John where he believed. And wow, this is miraculous. But what John is saying here in verse 9 is they should have already known. They should have already believed. They did not know the scripture that told them this. You see, Jesus personally had spoken of his resurrection, which we already noted that the ladies missed. And the angels reminded them, don't you guys remember when Jesus told you this? But Jesus was also not just the one to reveal that to him. The Old Testament scriptures also spoke of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so they didn't know the scriptures. What they should have known is that this was prophesied. This was spoken of in the word of God. And if they would have known the word of God the way they should have, then this shouldn't have been a surprise. This should have been something they were anticipating. Jesus' death, Peter and John were robbed of joy. They were miserable because they didn't know the word of God. They didn't know what God's word said about this particular issue. If Peter and John knew the scriptures concerning the risen Lord, they wouldn't have been miserable. They wouldn't have had this horrible time. Just like I said with the other ladies, they could have had these three days 
Instead of being hopeless, they could have been hopeful. Instead of being joyless, they could have been joyful. They could have had three days anticipating this wonderful event, but yet they didn't believe it. They didn't know the scriptures, and they didn't remember the words of Jesus. And this is the exact same thing we're going to see with the next group that Jesus appears to. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 27. Now behold, two of them, as in Jesus' followers, were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you, are, as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, Besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that he had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, Ought not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses all and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here we have two disciples. They're traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk. And as they're walking to Emmaus, Jesus comes and joins them, walks next to them, but he makes it so they can't recognize who he is. And as he's walking next to them, he asks them, what kind of conversation is this that you're having with one another and, and why you're so sad? Because they were talking about the events that just transpired with Jesus. And they say, are you the only stranger here in Jerusalem? How would you not know this huge event that everyone seems to know? And Jesus plays dumb. Well, what happened? What event? What are you talking about? And then they go on to share about how Jesus was crucified and how the women came to this empty tomb and how Peter and John came and saw the tomb was empty as well. And now it's the third day. And Jesus responds to them saying, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe and all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Jesus reveals to this guy, you know what? You guys are being so foolish. Why didn't you believe what the Old Testament spoke of concerning the Messiah, spoke of concerning me? And then we're told something that I wish Luke would have recorded. I'll ask Jesus when I get to heaven. He expounds, starting with the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way through the Old Testament. And he just shows them everywhere where it speaks of him. What an amazing Bible study that must have been of Jesus himself saying, hey, let me show you where it speaks of me. And let me show you when it talks of my death. And let, it, let me show you when it talks of my re resurrection. You guys should have known this. The Old Testament prophesied this over and over again. But just like with Peter and John, these disciples didn't know the scriptures that Jesus must die and rise again from the dead. And just like with Peter and John, they were robbed. They were robbed of joy and peace and comfort and happiness because they didn't know the word of God about these issues. And I think this is something so important for us to learn from. You know, not knowing the word of God robs us of so much. When we're not fluent with God's word, where we're not aware and understanding of God's word, we go through difficulties, we go through struggles, and the things, those truths that would help us in those circumstances we're ignorant to, and we don't know them. And they're no longer helpful to us because we don't know them. We miss out on so much because of it. Knowing the word of God and applying it to our lives is one of the most important things we can do as believers. And this is why it's so important that we personally take time on a regular basis to read the Bible and to apply the Bible to our lives because it's so vital for our daily walk with the Lord. So Jesus expounds to these two disciples all the Old Testament scriptures concerning himself. And now let's see how they respond to that 
verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with him, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told him, about all the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in breaking of bread. So Jesus, as he's walking with them and revealing all these amazing things about the Messiah throughout the Old Testament, he still hasn't opened their eyes of who he is. And they get to Emmaus, and Jesus says, basically, I'll just keep going. And they say, oh, no, no, it's late. Come, come, you know, stay here with us. We'll feed you. And so as they're coming together for a meal, Jesus breaks the bread and hands it to them, which is the last time they spent with him in the upper room when he broke bread, and all of a sudden it clicks for them, and they realize who he is, and then Jesus vanishes from their sight. But they get it. They, they see, oh, wow, we just spent this time with Jesus. But notice what they say right after it. Didn't our hearts burn as we listened to the word being proclaimed and revealed as Jesus showed us from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, all the things that spoke of him? And I think that's such a a wonderful thing when we have this fire within us, this desire for God's word, when we hear it and and we're just drawn to it and we desire it and we want more of it. It's a sad place to be when you read the Bible for yourself or you hear the Bible and you're just kind of close to it. You don't really care about it. It doesn't do much for you. You know, know, whatever. And sadly, we can get to that place. But when we get to that place, and I would pray if if you're in a place where you feel like, you know what, I'm dull to the word of God. There's no fire at all that you would ask the Lord to change your heart, that you would have a hunger for his word that would drive you to actually desire to spend time with it. And as you listen to it taught, it would be something that would move within you to be changed and to grow. Well, let's see what happens next as they go to the other disciples and tell them verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and suppose he was a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit did not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while still they did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in Jerusalem until you are endured with power from high. So while these two disciples are explaining to the other disciples, man, we were walking to Emmaus and, you know, this guy comes and he's opened the scriptures to us. We find out it's Jesus. It was so amazing. They're sharing these things. And while they're sharing these things, Jesus appears to all of them. And they're freaking out. They think he's a ghost. And, and, you know, Jesus says, hey, I'm flesh and blood. You can touch my scars. You can touch me. I'm not a ghost, you know, and uh, he starts to engage with them. And then Jesus reveals to them some important things. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened up their understanding. Just like he did with the two on the road to Emmaus. He's like, guys, you've missed it. The whole Old Testament spoke of these things. Let me reveal them to you. Let me open your understanding to the reality that this was all prophesied, that this all had to transpire. This isn't some new thing. This is something that was written and recorded for your understanding. And now let me help you comprehend it. 
But you know what? Jesus didn't just only show them that this happened, needed to happen. He also showed them why this needed to happen. Notice what he says. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus doesn't just say, hey guys, why'd you miss it? It's been prophesied. But he says, you know what? It wasn't just prophesied that I would die and rise from the dead. It's also prophesied of why. Why did I have to give up my life? Why did I have to go through this? Well, it was to pay the price for your sin. That's why I did this. I gave up my life to pay the price for the sin of the world. Jesus helps the disciples to understand the purpose in which he did this. And then he goes on to tell them something even more important. And you know what, guys? And now it's your responsibility as witnesses of these things to take this message of the gospel to the world. I came, I gave my life, I rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, and now I give you the command to go into the world and to preach the gospel to those who need to hear it, who are lost. Mark's gospel says, basically Jesus sums it up like this, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus' final command to his disciples was go. Go into the world and preach the gospel. It wasn't a suggestion. Hey, guys, you know what? If you're not too busy, if you've got time, I'd love it if you just go out and share the gospel maybe with a few people here and there. He says, no, no, no. This is what I want from you. This is my final command. Go out and preach the gospel to those who are lost. Tell people their need to repent of their sins. Tell people that they need to get right with me. Tell people that I can forgive them if they'll place their trust and faith in me. But notice the next thing that Jesus says in verse 49 But behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high. Jesus is just given a huge command. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. What? There's 11 of us. What are you talking about? And he says, but before you even attempt to do that, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. In John's gospel, Jesus makes very clear what that promise is. What is it that they're waiting for? John chapter 14, verse 16 says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 26, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The promise that Jesus says to wait on is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, and the power that the Holy Spirit brings to you because there's no way to accomplish this command to go preach the gospel to the world if you do not have the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you to do it. This is going to be the starting point of what we're going to look at next because Luke is kind of a two-part thing. Luke writes the gospel of Luke, and then he writes the book of Acts which is the next book that we're going to cover, because you think, well, all right, what happens now? You know, Jesus leaves them with this great calling and command to go and preach the gospel to the world, and then he says, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. What happens? Are they effective? What do they go through? Well, the book of Acts deals with all of that. But we need to understand, just like the disciples, we cannot go out and reach people with the gospel in our own strength, in our own ability, It's something that is supernatural. It's something that we have to be empowered by through the Holy Spirit. This Saturday, 10 o'clock, we're doing an outreach. We're going to meet here. I encourage you, come. Fulfill this command of Jesus who says, you know, go and reach people. Invest in people. Share the gospel with people. That's going to be our purpose in that time. And if you can make it, we'd love to have you. So we've seen the response to the resurrection But now we have the final thing that happens here in Luke, the ascension. Jesus is now going to ascend back into heaven, and he shares the final few verses in chapter 24, starting in verse 50. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So Jesus leads his disciples out to Bethany, and there is where he ascends back into heaven. And Luke tells us how Jesus' followers respond. They worshiped him. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. 
Notice first they, they worship him. And this is such a wonderful thing. When, when you accept Christ, when he comes into your life, this should be one of the responses, a response of true worship to him for who he is, for what he's done. They return to Jerusalem in obedience. Because what did he say? Before you go out preaching the gospel, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they did. They were obedient to what Jesus said. Third, they continued in the temple praising and blessing him. And this was huge because before this, they were hiding in a room because they were fearful of what might happen to them. Jesus was just killed from the religious leaders, and they weren't about to go talk about him because they thought, well, maybe we'll be crucified, maybe we'll be put to death. And now they're in the temple. And they're among the religious leaders, and they're proclaiming Jesus to people. And this drastic change has happened because now Jesus isn't dead and gone. He's risen and alive, and we're going to go tell people about it. When a person accepts Christ, these are things that happen in their life. They start to worship, be obedient, have great joy, and continually share Jesus with others. So Jesus is now ascended back into heaven And we're going to start finding out, well, what happens? What happens with the disciples? What happens? Are they going to get the power of the Holy Spirit? And if they do, what's going to transpire? Are they going to reach people with the gospel? Uh, Acts is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I think so relevant to us because it's a model for how the church should operate, a model for what we should be doing. And we're going to get to look through that and see what the early church was able to accomplish for the Lord and be challenged ourselves for what we're going to be doing. Interestingly enough, on Thursday, we uh, finished Galatians. This morning, we finished Luke. Uh, on Thursday nights, we're going to be going into 1 John. Uh, we're not going to start that this Thursday. This Thursday, I'm going to do a teaching on prayer. And we're going to finish that teaching on prayer with a time to pray for the community, to pray for the lost. And it's going to be a great you know, uh, lead up to Saturday when we're getting out and we're sharing with people. So we're going to take time uh, to just learn more about prayer and then to actually put it into practice. But we're going to specifically be focusing on those who are lost in our community and that the Lord would prepare them as we go out uh, to share the good news with them. And in the same regard, we're not going to start Acts next week. We're going to start the week following. And next week is almost going to be one full year. We started the first Sunday of March, uh, and so we have almost uh, been going for a full year. uh, And we've just finished Luke, and I think a great time to take a moment uh, and just to look a little bit at what God has done, but more significantly to look at what the vision is for the next coming year and, and what we have planned. And uh, we're going to be sharing some new ministries that uh, we got started. We're going to have started in March, uh, some new opportunities to serve uh, and different things that we're going to be doing. So uh, I think this is going to be a, a great thing that, you know, I want everyone to be on the same page of where we're headed, what we're doing. Uh, and, you know, so next week is a, an important week. I, I don't want you to miss. Uh, come find out what's going on uh, and we'll get to share all that with us. So uh, Colson, why don't you come up? I'm going to pray uh, and we'll close with Uh, a worship song without any words, and hopefully you guys remember them. So let's ask the Lord to bless us.